Welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, welcome back to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and this episode is with Ms. Gloria Steinem, the political activist and journalist. She's probably best known as one of the major leaders of the women's liberation movement. But she started out her career as a journalist with New York Magazine when it was just getting off the ground. She'd worked for Esquire and Show, which is where her very famous bunny piece, exposing the Playboy um, mansion for what it is, came out. And she, of course, co-founded Ms. Magazine. But what a lot of listeners may not know is that she also wrote for a comedy show the week that was. And she did confess to me that she wanted to be a stand-up comedian when she grew up. So if there's no doubt in my mind that that may be possible for her in the next decade since she continues to tirelessly work on causes. She's written seven books, including Doing 60 and 70, Revolution from Within, and Outrageous Acts and Everyday Rebellions, amongst others. You can also check out the HBO documentary In Her Own Words, which is a lovely biopic of Ms. Steinem. But if you want a really fun perspective of her check out the interview, which is coming up right now that we taped at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. So how can I follow Snooki? <laughs> I mean, I don't have an English accent. I don't even have a job. <laughs> Well, it was funny when I was like, I, this is a show about jobs, and you're like, I don't technically have one. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I, I've almost never had one. I mean, I've had momentary jobs from the time I was 13, but I've never had an actual salaried job. Well, that is thrilling to hear about because it, you still are able to pay rent somehow. Yep. Right. Well, and have managed to accomplish yeah, more in your lifetime than for a while this whole like room put together. $125, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but there were times where it was, was hard for you. Well, I, fortunately, I had a father who had two points of pride. He never wore a hat, which then you were supposed to do, and he never had a job. So I was well equipped for freelancing. And I had learned how to recognize bill collectors because <laughs> he used to send me to the door, you know, what are you going to do with a five-year-old kid, you know, <laughs> so, you know, when he knew it was a bill collector, so I could recognize them. I had my American Express card repossessed, uh, wow. but, but I was fine. I mean, you know, I was never hungry. I was never hungry. I've never suffered from that as well, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> you were also self-educated, though, when you, you grew up sort of in and out of school because he was a traveling salesman? Yeah, he wasn't exactly, I mean, he had a, a, a kind of showbiz career in the summer at a summer resort that he had in Michigan. Hmm. And then in the winter, because he hated the cold weather, we would get in a trailer and travel to uh, California or Florida buying and selling antiques along the way. So, so we were living in a trailer, so I wasn't going to school. Where did they fit you with the furniture? <laughs> no, no, small antiques. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, right. Like China and, you know, I this idea jewelry like, and stuff like that. Fabergé eggs, whereas I thought it was yeah, like no, no, not, or, not, no, not quite that, no, no. Um, and I'm going to fast forward to, was New York Magazine, well, I guess that wasn't the, the first big magazine job you were at. Well, no, I've been magazine. freelancing for a long time. Uh, and then we started New York Magazine, which was fun. I mean, I have to say it was fan-fucking-tastic, which is my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. Clay Felker was the, the editor? He was the editor. He'd been my first editor at Esquire. Wonderful, legendary editor. 
And we had all these people like Tom Wolfe and Jimmy Breslin and, you know, folks, even people here are not too young to know. Right? Yeah, people know Tom Wolfe. <laughs> Everyone knows a white suit when they see one. Uh, and I was the girl writer. Uh, and we had started the magazine together, so we had a great time. It was and terrific. you raised money for it? Yes, we we tap dance for rich people, which is what we call called it. We went to many, 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 many lunches okay. with Clay because he was raising money to do this. Do you pay for it, or do they pay for it? Uh, Clay paid for it, fortunately. Okay. Okay, thank because goodness. we couldn't for the okay. most part. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I was trying to figure out—that you were raising money, even though you guys didn't, I assume, have any. Uh, well, no. I mean, we were we were tap dancing for rich people who you, were going to underwrite the magazine and who ultimately did, but we had to you know, do that, which was good practice for Ms. Magazine, because then we had to do it for Ms. Magazine, too. Again. Yeah. And did, did New York Magazine help fund Ms. Magazine? Uh, well, they published the very first uh, preview issue as part of a year-end issue, which was great, because it gave us a sample, and we could prove that we could do well, and that people would buy it, and so on. We didn't get paid, uh, no. but, but they paid for the production costs, which was great. I can account that some of the best jobs you don't get paid for, I would say. <laughs> you know you're doing what you love. <laughs> when you're not. But I want you all to get paid. But, you know, still, I think there are two tests when you forget what time it is, you know, while you're doing it because you love it so much. Yes. And actually you would do it even if you didn't get properly paid. Yeah. Well, I can attest to both of those right now. I have no idea what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you did the very famous Playboy funny piece. I was so intrigued by it because as someone who's only a couple years younger, but you know, we really learned about the body politic and all the, these things in academia, but you, you really demonstrated what it was like to have to experience um, using your sexuality as a way to make money. And I loved hearing how you identified more with the women who were working there than your colleagues. Well, <clears throat> in, I mean, actually, it started because I was in an editorial meeting at Show Magazine, and I made a joke, you know, which was, you know, well, the it was opening, what, yeah, and they said, <laughs> you know, you do it, uh, and it, it actually turned out to be a career error because it was hard enough to be taken seriously as a writer anyway, and I wasn't getting political assignments. I could only, I mean, I. How could hard. you write about that stuff, though? That takes testosterone. How would you know how to do what that? You, <laughs> yes, certainly. Right, right. I you don't have the physical more. strength to hold poisoning. that pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but I didn't realize that at the time, and also I needed the job, and I thought it would be funny, and I thought I would only go and go through the auditions because I didn't have proper identification, and in New York State you're supposed to have identification to serve liquor and to, you know... But they were so desperate for people because it was such a terrible, terrible job. Yes, that the turnover that, was so high. Yeah, that I got hired and I ended up working off and on for a couple of months. Um, and then I wrote about it and then the Playboy Club sued me and I got harassed. And I mean, you know, it was a mess. It was really a mess. What was it like dealing with that, though? Um, well, I, the, the good part about it was that I do think that the working conditions of the women who were working there changed afterwards. I would say that was the best part because just to Huge. tell you what it was like, <laughs> they, oh, wait, 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 you can't, you can't make this up, okay? 
that you had to have an internal gynecological exam and a venereal disease test to work as a waitress. And they were telling all these young women that this was New York State law. Right. So after I wrote it, at least they didn't have to do that. Um, but the, and, and the clubs are no more, which is also very good. But it took a while, and it was it was very very difficult. And the and the weird thing now is that I am an extremely old person, and people still <laughs> and by uh, introduce you me. You look like you're you're not an old person. So yeah, trust can, me. Can I'm an old person. <laughs> <clears throat> and people still in, introduce me as an ex bunny as a kind of put down, hmm. and uh, so I'm always kind of trapped saying, well. <clears throat> I don't want to disassociate from the women who work there because, you know, after all, they're just trying to support their kids. Or to, But on the other hand, should I explain that I wasn't really a bunny? And so, so I just say yes, I mean, because it's easier. And also, <laughs> um, I did want to ask about, uh, with Ms. Magazine, um, the CIA, how, how involved they were or not, and now the CIA is very different. But it, is, but it was, if they were supporting socially <coughs> no. progressive no, 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 no. I can't even try? <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't have that kind of source of money. No. Um, and I also wanted to ask about Norma Jean, because you wrote about her, and I was thinking when you were talking about the Playboy Bunny, um, you know, she was one of the first women, she poses naked and she refuses to pretend like she didn't mm -hmm. when she gets in trouble with her studio for having done this piece. Did you identify with her at all? Is that why you were inspired to write about her? Well, you know, I think that a lot of us, for different reasons, have a kind of rescue fantasy about Marilyn Monroe. You know, if, if, she, if there had been a women's movement at the time when she was alive, would she still be alive, perhaps? You know, because, um, I mean, she was sexually abused as a child. Yes. She was abandoned. She... Uh, she tried, she wanted to be a, a serious actress. She, the, last, the last line of the last interview she ever gave before she committed suicide was, please don't make me a joke. Yes. And, and you know, so I, I, I think we all wonder if, uh, in that way that maybe we always wonder about people's lives that are, who die very young. Could, could we have helped? Could we have made a difference? I was particularly intrigued by, by her because she knew that her sexuality, she knew what it was and she knew how to use it and she got this great career off of it and then it was such a double-edged sword where she had to then reclaim herself well, and never got a chance to. You know, I don't, I, you know, no? you can't pretend to know what she yeah. was. But, I was doing a good job of it, I thought. Yeah, so. but... <laughs> 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 but... Um, she didn't want to be a dumb blonde. She didn't want to be. And she clearly put this on. I mean, she would say to her friends when she was walking in the street and people were not noticing her, yeah. do, do you want to see me be Marilyn for a minute? And then she would put on all the mannerisms and teeter and so on, and people would recognize her as Marilyn. So, uh, you know, I, I think she really, I'm not sure she had a choice mm -hmm. of how she was going to be presented in those years. And also, she was very afraid of getting old because then, you know, if you were 30 or 35, your career was over. I remember those years well. <laughs> um, can, we, can I ask you, because you are known as being a feminist, um, what are the worst pickup lines you've gotten from men? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, actually, what springs to mind, <laughs> I don't, this isn't what you bargained for, what I'm about to say, is, is that, that once we were, we were at the University of Michigan, we were having a big rally, and there was a right-wing uh, anti-choice group that said they were going to bomb the auditorium. They weren't, you know, they weren't, but they were just trying to empty the auditorium. And so um, we were all standing around outside in the, on the lawn, and the um, and I realized that the security guy was trying to pick me up, and I thought, is this a whole bomb threat? You know, just <laughs> did he succeed? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I mean it just seemed weird. But anyway, um, how how do you know when a bomb threat is serious and when it is not? I mean, <laughs> well, actually, you know. It, we haven't talked about this at all. This is like a plot, okay? But but actually, he did say to me, uh, he said, oh, don't worry, you know, because they're just trying to clear the auditorium. Uh, and I said, how do you know that? And he said, because they only kill men. They don't kill women, hmm. they, unless they're married to them, <laughs> which is another story. But when you think about it, it's right. I mean, you know, all the, the abortion doctors who were hmm. killed in bombings, and so some, there Women were only killed not because they were targeted, but because they were close to the doctors. So you know, they were nurses or they were, you know. So it, it, they don't even take us seriously enough to kill us, if you know what I mean. Unless is, we're married to them, which is then a different story entirely. Um, let's talk about the F word a little bit. It's one of your favorites. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I realized from, from long ago when I saw Hair for the first time, that the art the, form... The musical as opposed the musical. to... The musical, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they knew. You knew what I meant, right? Okay. Uh, that the art form was not just to say, fuck, that's too easy, but to put it in the middle of a word. And that's why, you know, I... Uh, I mean, I, there was a song called A.B. Baby, the Emancipating Pater of the Slaves. Remember that? And that's, and that's why I say fan-fucking-tastic, because I figured that... The, <laughs> right. Um, I was just talking about the other F word, feminism, but. <laughs> well, since, since I don't think feminism is an F word, I thought you were talking about the other F word. <laughs> um, one of the many, many qualities of you that I uh, just admire and love is that you have been such a role model in terms of talking about sex positive, that women should enjoy their sexuality and femininity, and that men and women can be feminists. Um, what happens when you hear from someone who might consider themselves a feminist, um, but you might not have the same opinion of them? Specifically, how do you feel about Sarah Palin? <laughs> uh, I think that Sarah Palin has a right to be wrong. Uh, <laughs> and she is very wrong. But the whole idea of uh, the whole idea, of course, is not just to get a job for one woman as vice yes. president or anything else, but to make life more fair for everybody, women and men. So, um, actually, the 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 people, so to speak, that she most maligned, I thought, were uh, mama bears. Isn't that what she? What did she call them? 
Mama Grizzlies, thank you, Mama Grizzlies. Because I knew, I mean, first of all, she was shooting them from helicopters, but besides yeah. that, she kept, she kept saying uh, that Mama Grizzlies were her model and so on. So I thought, well, she's wrong about everything, so she must be wrong about this. So I researched Mama Grizzlies, mm -hmm. and I discovered that even compared to brown bears, which are their relatives, they, uh, they uh, mate later, have fewer cubs, and and if and and if uh, and if they're pregnant and it's and their health is bad or the uh, environment is bad or there's not enough food or whatever they reabsorb the fetus into their own bodies. I I didn't make this up. Okay, so we might be able to sell that. In I mean, slow. that's uh, you know, is that? <laughs> This is a feminist bear, so I wrote something about it. I said, I said, Mama Grizzly should sue for defamation of character. <laughs> now, you are, are very thoughtful also about saying that it's okay if, if younger women take feminism for granted, that that is an okay thing. But it's hard uh, when working with another person, male or female, who does take feminism for granted? Well, I don't think we can take it for granted just because we don't have it yet. You know, mm -hmm. so... <clears throat> mean, I mean, we don't have full equality yet. <clears throat> no, not at all. And um, so if taking it for granted means they're ready to stop now and not get mad, you know, about all the things that are wrong, then I think that's too bad, you know, because that's one person who's not going to um, help move forward, really. But if you mean, should, should the young women be grateful to me or to other people, I would say no, actually. Not necessarily, because gratitude never radicalized anybody. You know, you really get mad at some unfairness that you yourself experience. So I'd much rather <clears throat> that young women get mad at injustices now and, and, and keep going. And mothers sometimes say to me, uh, oh, my daughter, you know, who's 12, doesn't know who you are. And I always say, that's okay. Does she know who she is? That's the point, you know. Because we all have people uh, in our own generations who speak for us, and she will too. But the point is that we keep moving forward. I appreciate that on one note, and then on another, I'm like, but well, what if it's Snooki who's speaking for my generation? <laughs> no, no, nobody can speak for a generation. Snooki can only speak for Snooki. Okay. That is the whole secret. We can only speak for ourselves. That's good to know. Right. And I, I was wondering if you ever dealt with, and I'm sure you have because you're a human, um, politics in, I know you didn't work in an actual workplace, but I wanted to know how you dealt with um, egos and things like that um, in the women's movement, or another way to say that is, what was your relationship like with Betty Friedan? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, she rarely spoke to me, so it was sort of, we sort of passed each other. I mean, people think we knew each other, you know, because, but actually we didn't. Um, I mean, we, we were in the same meetings sometimes and so on, but I think it was really hard, for, and I, this was not unique to me. I mean, it was true for Bella Abzug and other people. Who too. was a, a real mentor to you. Who's wonderful, yeah, right, who's wonderful. Who loved conflict. I so tried to learn from that because I hate conflict. I know I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> and, and, and she was such a, a brave, wonderful, out there, historic figure. I feel like she's the definition of a chutzpah. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, she, she really is an icon. And if people get a chance, or if they have not seen the HBO documentary about you, there's wonderful footage um, of you with her. And I was always so um, admiring of, of how you would partner with other women when you were called to speak so that the movement wouldn't simply look to just you, mm. but would, would see that this is a movement of people. Yeah, well, that, that started <clears throat> in the beginning because I was scared. You know, so it's good to follow your emotion in a way, you know, because I was, I was really too scared to speak by myself. I was at least in my mid-30s before I ever spoke in public. I think we choose our occupation, you know, because we, you know, so I was a writer and a dancer because I didn't want to talk. So when I started to uh, go out and speak just out of sheer frustration because you couldn't print, you know, very much about the movement, uh, I I asked a friend if she would go with me, Dorothy Pittman Hughes, who ran the West 80th Street Child Care Center here. I don't know if any of you remember it. Fabulous, wonderful neighborhood organizer, an African-American woman who had kids. So I thought, oh, I'm a white woman with no kids, you know, so this will be a perfect... Sitcom. Partner sitcom, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it, it was a sitcom because then she had a baby while we were speaking together, and, and, um, and the audiences in those days definitely thought, and this was before this was possible, that we had that baby ourselves. <laughs> together, right. Because <laughs> we always had the baby on stage with us. <laughs> but it turned out to be a, a very good thing that we were speaking together because we got a much more real audience than either one of us would have got by ourselves. And so uh, after she didn't want to go on the road anymore, I spoke to Florence Kennedy. Maybe people here know Florence Kennedy. Flow is what she went by. Flo, right. Uh, and, and others, and sometimes we had, you know, more people than that. I mean, we'd have five at a time, and that was fun. I really, really enjoyed that. And I think it was much better because the, the, the idea, there's a divisive way of dealing with social justice movements, which is saying, well, the civil rights movement is only for men, or the women's movement is only for white women, or, you know, this is kind of divide and conquer. And it was uh, it was a lot easier to to deal with and to to have audiences that look a little bit more like the country. It it does feel bifurcated now. I have my friends from Wesleyan who, like myself, are staunch feminists and, and male or female. And then in the real world uh, where I work, I have people who have no idea what feminism is, but they know they hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it definitely. What is it like being an activist and also um, trying to speak to people who, you know, are outside of your traditional choir? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's different. Poorly phrased question, so good, <coughs> lu- good luck answering it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's different for, for me now because I'm so lucky because I'm, you know, kind of a recognizable symbol of something that people care about. So I'm much more likely to get thank yous that I don't deserve. I mean, they go to the whole movement, not just to one person. So it's, 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 it's great now. But for a long time, it wasn't so great uh, because there, and, and still, there is a lot of opposition. I mean, I, you know, I can tune in to Rush Limbaugh any day of the week and hear myself refer to him as a feminazi, you know. Yes. And, so and so how do you respond to that? I say I didn't pay him to do this to prove how crazy these right-wingers are. <laughs> no, I mean, he's beyond the pale, you know, right? Yes. Right, right. If, Trump, if Trump had a radio show, he would still be beaten by Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> In the idiocy department? 
Isn't that just crazy department? Okay, just crazy. (laughs) Lunacy, lunacy. Um, But I I was curious, like, what is it like having people... um, Say things about you uh, that are so negative. Do you, are you able to compartmentalize? No, I don't okay. think so. I don't know about anybody here, but it still hurts. And I think you might not admit it, or you can put it in proportion, or whatever. But it but it still hurts, right? And especially, I mean, the the worst thing is to be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Margaret Sanger said that once when she was about to, she was trying to decide whether to go to jail or go to Canada. And she was afraid that if she went to Canada, she would be misunderstood as being afraid of jail. And she said, I fear most in life being misunderstood. And I probably a lot of us here feel that way. I wanted to bring up one of your, you've written so many books, but um, I've had this, a revolution from within. I was going to ask you, um, was the, how did you feel about writing this book? <laughs> well, it, I, it is so I, personal compared to the ones before it, I thought. Mm, I, I started it mainly because I travel all the time, and I just kept meeting wonderful, strong, outrageous, terrific, funny, smart women who didn't I'm think... right here. <laughs> yes, like you. Who didn't <laughs> think they were wonderful, smart, outrageous, funny. I hope you do. I'm still right here. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was kind of looking for things to give them, and I found um, books that were about making external change, creating more justice in the world, you know. And I found books, and behaving as if that was everything, and books that were about internal change, and behaving as if that was everything. And I didn't find one that hooked it up into one circle, which it is, I think. The minute we say we, you know, fix something in the world we feel more self-confident and the women minute we tell the truth and are authentic we can fix something I mean it's a it's it's a circle so this was trying to connect the internal and external change into a circle it certainly uh helped me do so so I was very grateful for it it's working I mean it's working is it not working I risk my (laughs) this this is a, a picture. Um, I'm, I met you a long time ago at um, one of the Vagina Monologues concerts. It was a benefit, and you were there with your husband mm-hmm. at, the, at the time. Um, do you think you'd ever get married again? N- no, and I didn't think... I, I think neither one of us thought we were going to get married then. Yes. You know, be, I mean, we loved each other, and we wanted to be together, but he needed a green card. And, the, I mean, really, you know, let's face it, why at that age would you otherwise get married? Uh, and but you were also very in love. Yes, I know, but, but there's no reason to, to <laughs> there would be no re- But, I mean, two things, or three. We, the women's movement had worked 30 years to equalize the marriage laws, and with the huge exception of marriage equality, real marriage equality yeah. for men and men and women and women, the laws were by that time equal. Um, so I thought, well, you know, there's this one, you know, privilege or there are a lot of privileges that you, that you get. And one of them is the, is the green card. So why not do it? And the other thing was that Wilma Mankiller, the great chief of the Cherokee nation. I love that you got married with someone with the last name Mankiller. (laughs) Okay. But I, I, I have to explain as Wilma, if she were, Wilma, if she were alive, would explain. If, if you asked her nicely, she would explain that uh, the real, it was a title of somebody who protected the village, and the real title was White Man Killer, and she had dropped white, 
right? But if you didn't ask her nicely, she would say, I earned it. <laughs> anyway, she, she offered us a Cherokee ceremony at dawn in Oklahoma, in rural Oklahoma. So who can resist that, right? So and true love. You had true love. Well, <laughs> <laughs> am I, I idealizing? Yeah. You know, to be real for a moment. Yes. <laughs> right. I, no, we've been real all along, actually. Okay. <laughs> the, um, I hope so. <laughs> you know, each person you love is real. You know, it isn't one person for your whole lifetime, usually. And even when people thought it was, it was because they only lived to be 40 or 50. <laughs> so, so I think to, to say, I, I'm, I'm not saying this is true for everybody. Maybe some people have one true love in their whole lives. I haven't had one yet, so I was just curious. Okay. Well, I, I, I really don't think there is, and I think it's, it's, it's not honoring other loves if you say there's only one because everybody's unique and everybody's different. Yes. Yeah. I, I said you had true love. I didn't mean he was the only one you <laughs> okay. had true love with. <laughs> That's why I said, well, did you ever think you'd get married again? Um, I did want to ask because you have been so forward thinking and going to lots of other movements um, or I, I guess it's all a continuation of being socially active. I wanted to talk a little bit about cultural relativism I remember being in Jordan and seeing a woman in very high stilettos under a burqa. And I thought, oh, she's getting the worst of both worlds. <laughs> and at that moment, they seem sort of equally perilous. <laughs> um, and I was just curious how you balance that. I know you do a lot of work in female genital mutilation. And of course, that's very easy to say this is wrong. And it is, there's nothing that I could understand what would be right about that. But there are some things where it is more challenging, I would imagine, when you're dealing with people from different cultures or even people in your own country, how do you negotiate that? Well, in any case, you're not and shouldn't be telling somebody else what to do. So mm -hmm. uh, what it usually means is that at the most, you're choosing who from that country to support and help. Mm -hmm. I mean, that because we're... You, it would be very bad, I think, to tell somebody from another country what they could or should do, or anybody what they could or should do. So uh, I think what we have evolved is the theory, is, is the list of human rights by which we say, okay, these are things that we think should be true in every culture. And if that woman is in a burqa, because otherwise she can't go to school, she can't work, she can't go out in the street and be safe, I am certainly not going to tell her that she should not wear a burqa. I'm going to stand up for her right to wear a burqa. Mm -hmm. It's up to her. I, I mean, I, I, it makes perfect sense. But the I, high heels are a different question. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think about it a lot because there are certain parts of plastic surgery. If you told me I could do that in an hour, I'd be like, great. But then I'll look at some people who've had so much and I feel sad for them. Mm. And so I think it's... Um, it's a horrible analogy to then say that for spreading democracy, but there are certain values <laughs> that I feel like... No, but that's... I mean, some people... I, I have friends who have to have plastic surgery in order to work, you know. I mean, really, literally, in order to work. So I'm certainly not going to make that decision for them. I don't want to do it just because I'm afraid it would be so obvious that it, nobody could stop thinking about it while they were talking to me, it would be like a bad toupee, you know? Yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, 
And, and also, the, uh, I, I love that a friend of mine fiercely defended me by saying, no, I know Gloria hasn't had a facelift. I saw her the other day. She looked terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've made, managed to make a living as an activist and as a writer. Do you, do you consider, what do you write on your tax forms? Uh, writer, lecturer. Lecturer sounds like I lecture people. I don't love that. So sometimes I say speaker. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> one of those two things. And I was very excited because um, before I became a non-famous writer, I thought I would uh, be a stand-up. And I was like, no, I want to do something stable, like writing for TV. <laughs> and I understood that you had similar delusional tendencies. And before becoming a writer and activist, you were going to be a tap dancer? Uh Yes, because I was trying to tap dance my way out of Toledo, and the only people I knew who got out, or the only, you know how little girls, it's like little boys see sports in bad yes. neighborhoods, and they think they can get out that way, and little girls see women in movies, television, online, whatever, and think they can get out that way. So it was completely unrealistic. I was never a very good dancer. But I thought I was going to tap dance my way out of Toledo, definitely. Right? Would you be willing to tap dance off the stage? <laughs> and I got a soft shoe. Okay, not too fast. <laughs> I want you to know normally I only do this in elevators with music. When no one's watching. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please check out our website, employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com. You can nominate people. You can give me feedback about the interviews, what you liked, didn't like, people you'd like to hear from. Again, this show is about jobs, work, and culture. So trying to get a sense of how people spend their time, what they do with it. We really only, we meaning me, like to only interview interesting, good eggs, the good part meaning that they have a moral compass. I probably will not take someone if they're a dictator or a parking ticket officer, but anyone else who has a really interesting job or career, please feel free to uh, let us know about them. Please donate if you have money. We could really use your help. It makes the sound quality that much better. It helps pay for people. And even me, I could afford to have three meals in a day instead of combining. That would be a delight. I really want to thank Dave Steffi for being just a wonderful partner in crime, as well as Ian Mazoff, New Wave Entertainment, and all of you for listening. Thank you so, so much. And how did I not thank Lady Parts? Thank you, Lady, for being the best co-host a host could ever have. I'm Katie Lazarus. Be well. <laughs>